This is Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors, exclusively on the Bun 2.0, KBUN-FM 104.5. Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors is sponsored by DS Beverages, the Anheuser-Busch distributor here in the North Country, and by Bonded Lock and Key. Well, we're glad to have Scott Anderson, the Regional Director from Ducks Unlimited, back with us today. Hey, Scott, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me in. First of all, congratulations. You were named the National Regional Director of the Year for Ducks Unlimited. How many regional directors are there? Uh, there's 90 across the nation. So it was, uh, it was a pretty big honor. Uh, obviously, it's, it's not me that just earns it. It's all the volunteers in, in the northern part of the state that play a big role in that. And uh, it's, kind of, it's kind of nice to even show them that our area is recognized as the top area in the nation. Yeah, that is, that is pretty cool. Um, so what were some of the criteria for determining the, the award? Uh, it's based on basically uh, how, how the events do within that area. So you're talking money raised, uh, attendance, members, things like that, that all kind of play the role into, into fundraising. How many members do we have in this region? Uh, in my region, there's about thirteen to 14,000. In the okay. state of Minnesota, there's around forty-five to 50,000. Okay. Um, how long have you been working for Ducks Unlimited? 13 years now. Okay. Yeah, it's... Um, you know, we talk to you every year, and it lose track of how many years it's been. Time flies; goes by fast. <laughs> how did you get involved? Uh, basically, when, uh, when I was in college, I went to school down in Des Moines, Iowa, at Drake University, and my my background was biology, um, the outdoors, and environmental science. And I interned for Ducks Unlimited when I was in college, and it just kind of uh, spun from that. And I just, I've it's been my whole career working with Ducks Unlimited. So. Are you from Minnesota originally? Or? Grew up in the cities, but I've worked for DU in uh, northwest North Dakota, out in Maryland in the mid-Atlantic states, and then I wanted to come back home, and that's where I got this job. Okay. And, and what kind of duck hunting were you finding in the other places? Is it as passionate as it is here, or there is many? Uh Every every area has their own their own passion for it. It changes the the styles change a little bit, but Minnesota just has a whole different aspect of the outdoors. I mean, you know, with with the winters we have, we obviously try to take advantage of every aspect we can when it's not frozen. Um, so it's just there, there's a different level of uh, appreciation for what we have in this state, I think, than than some other states. Okay. Well, we we brought you in to talk about how the duck season's been going so far. Obviously, the weather was lousy for a good chunk of it. It's been a little bit better now. Wetter weather doesn't necessarily mean better duck hunting, though. Not necessarily. Uh, it did get quite a bit colder early than we're used to. Uh, we are about halfway through the season. This past weekend with MEA is usually a big weekend where people get out. Uh, we're kind of in that middle stretch of where the ducks are kind of now, the locals and the, the early migrants are starting to move south, and the birds that come down from Canada and northern Canada are just uh, just starting to trickle in now. What kind of action have we seen? I had actually heard pretty positive reports earlier. Yeah, there was actually there was. I've heard a lot of reports from friends and uh, members at banquets when when we're talking ducks and uh, the banquets are happening. Uh, it was better than I think most people did expect because uh, the duck numbers were slightly down nationally this year. Um, but I think Minnesota still stayed pretty strong with the breeding habitat we had. Uh, the water levels were pretty good. We have pretty good rice. Of course, with a lot of that rain in in uh, early October. Uh, the water levels are a little higher than they are normally are, but that kind of opens up new areas for duck hunters too, where it's parts that are normally dry, ducks may be starting to get into now because there's water there. Okay. So you say the numbers were down. What what causes those fluctuations in duck populations? Um, there's a few factors. This year was probably just the really late spring we had. Um, ducks will start moving north, obviously, when the weather cooperates and they, they want to start uh, to their breeding, you know, meeting up with pairs or mates. 
Um, and with how late that spring went, it's kind of slowed down some of the breeding habitat. Some, some of the ducks actually started breeding, and then we got some late snows or really cold weather that shut them off and basically either, you know, kind of froze their eggs or just stopped them from uh, their normal succession of laying eggs. And that slowed the population down a little bit. So that, that didn't help a lot. Uh, otherwise, you know, dry, dry conditions doesn't help. Uh, the ducks need water um, and obviously more habitat in the ground, the grasslands they breed in. If there's, you know, more of that's in the ground, the more ducks we're going to have. And that's always, a, that's always the fact that we're chasing with Ducks Unlimited in, in our habitat work is that we're trying to put more water and more grass in the ground for the ducks. Okay. I know that uh, environmental issues are big, and I, and I know that it's also a politically charged football. But climate change, have we seen anything to indicate a change in ducks' behavior or duck populations based on climate change to this point? There hasn't been anything significant that has been pointed out, but of course, studies that find those relationships take years and years to figure out because it's you know it's the climate change is not just in one period, but over a course of a long, long extended period of time. So there are there are studies looking at that. You know, some of it's you know further north, like into the Can- the, the northern Canada prairies and stuff like that, where conditions may be drier than normal, or uh, some of the the permafrost in the boreal forest, which holds wetlands. Uh, in the su- through the summertime, you know, changing, but it's a lot of it's hard. It's almost too early to tell, even though people have been looking at it for several years now. It's still that it, it's still out whether or not it's it's affecting something long term or not. And that's what it seems to come down to with ducks, because of uh, DU's work on wetlands all over the place. It really comes down to water. Right. Yep. It's water and grass. I mean, that's that's what they need to either feed or breed or protect their young or you know roost and, and survive on the on the landscape and so the more the more water there is the more habitat and grass there is the more ducks you'll see now how long does this season go uh, minnesota it's 60 days long so, so everybody started on september 22nd there are three zones in minnesota there's a north central and south um, and they're all 60 days now the central and the south take a little break after the opening weekend um, so in the north zone which is basically north of highway 210 uh, we end on November 20th, so just before Thanksgiving. Okay. Uh, the central zone is November 25th, and then the, the southern zone goes all the way till December 2nd. Okay. Um, and if we're going to go out hunting from here on out, what are some of the things we should be looking for? Where should we be um, trying to hunt from? Yeah, so right now as the ducks are moving across the landscape, their biggest thing they're looking for is food as they travel. So areas that have wild rice, ducks love wild rice, so you know lakes and bays that are stocked with wild rice, great places to be in. Um, also, they're going to start concentrating on the bigger waters now too because obviously as the temperatures drop, the shallow wetlands, the small lakes, small ponds are going to start to freeze up, so it congregates them into bigger waters. So, you know, obviously we're plenty of big water up around this area. I mean, clearly the big ones are obviously, you know, Red Lake, Leech Lake, Winnie, Cass Lake. Um, any of those are, will, will usually sustain ducks through, through the end of the year because that's some of the last bodies of water to freeze. Okay. And um, we should be looking to the north. I mean, that's that's where the ducks we're going to hear from, see from here on out are, are coming from the north, correct? Correct. Yeah, and actually, if you know, if you're looking for ducks, obviously the best thing to do is drive around and just you know glass with binoculars across lakes. But um, with Lake Bemidji being a refuge, it's actually a really good sign of telling you what's around the area because those ducks will never get chased off that lake. They're going to leave on their good time when they feel they need to. So I mean, you can even look at Lake Bemidji as just a telltale sign of what's around the area. If you're seeing a lot of ducks on Lake Bemidji, you're going to see a lot of ducks around the area as well too. Okay. Have you been out? 
Uh, a few times, yep, yep. I've uh, in Minnesota. I've also traveled to Canada, did some hunting in North Dakota as well. Okay, I just had a friend who was up uh, north in Canada as well, and there's a there's certainly a good duck hunting up there. There is, you know, doing the out of state trips. Um, I, I do love hunting in Minnesota, but the out of state trips help extend your season. You know, Minnesota's not good from day one to day sixty, so you got to find other areas to go to. Um, so that's why you know a lot of people travel to Canada in the early parts of September, mid September, when even the season's not open in Minnesota yet. Um, or travel to Dakotas or somewhere else, you know, just to kind of, you know, wait, get a little different experience of hunting, but also buy their time of when it's the best time to be hunting in Minnesota. What, uh, what kind of gun do you like to use? I shoot a Benelli. Uh, so that's kind of, you know, it's with, with shotguns, it's kind of the whole, like what you grew up with kind of thing, you yeah. know, what your dad shot or what, you know, what they, what was your first gun you got and just kind of fall into that, that category a little bit. So I, I shoot a Benelli. That's what I start with. Um, that was my first gun I bought when I was when I had the money to buy my own gun. So, do you have a dog? I do, I do. Dogs are fun. Um, it was my first dog I got about four years ago now, um, and it was something that is a really good experience. I mean, it's obviously very helpful with getting ducks, mm-hmm. um, but it's it adds a whole other aspect of hunting of someone. You know, it's a per, not a person, but it's another animal to share it with, and um, they become part of the family pretty quick, especially when you spend that much time with them out in the field. What breed did you go with? I have uh, what's called a Drothar, uh, which is in the German wire hair family. So okay. it's, a, it's a pointer, but it's a water dog and a blood tracker as well. Okay. Uh, and they seem to really enjoy going after those ducks when you tell them to go. It, it's, it's crazy. Uh, like I said, this is my first dog I've actually owned. Um, and you just you, you get a whole different sense of, of hunting when, you, when you're able to share it with, the, with, another, with, that, with, the, with a dog because they, they do have excitement. No matter, no matter if it's the first retrieve or the last retrieve, they go after it with the same enthusiasm, and it's, it's kind of fun to watch, it's, and especially seeing them work. You know, Trained dogs are fun to watch you know, directional stuff or just finding the bird if it's in the cattails. Like the first, the first time I ever took my dog out, I dropped a duck that fell 30 yards into cattails that I doubt I ever would have found it, but she hmm. knew right where to go, and she went and got it and came back with it, and it was, it was kind of fun to watch. Did you train your dog, or did you have somebody else do that? A little bit of both. Okay. I had someone help me with starting it and stuff like that, but, you know, it's, it's, it's an ongoing thing. You don't ever stop. I mean, it's, it's something from when they're one years old to, you know, if, even if they're 12 or 13, you know, you're still teaching them each year a little bit more and more. It's continuous working. You know, it's not a lot of time you got to put into it. It's just continuous and repetitive that you got to, you got to stick with them. Okay. That's somebody I should talk to someday as a, as a dog trainer for, for retrieval. I think that would be very interesting. Yeah. Coming up in our much longer second segment, more with Scott Anderson on the duck season and ducks unlimited. And we talk with Lou Cornicelli, wildlife research manager with the DNR, as we get ready for the deer season. Particularly, we're looking at chronic wasting disease. It's all coming up. Hope on you hit the outdoor sponsored by DS Beverages and Bonded Lock and Key. Don't forget, we are online, kbunsportsradio.com. Click on Hope on you hit the outdoors. You'll be able to check out all the shows. You can also subscribe to the podcast. Go to Podcast One or iTunes to subscribe. And we're also on Facebook and Twitter. Coming up in a few minutes, we'll hear from Lou Cornicelli, Wildlife Research Manager with the DNR. But right now, we continue with Scott Anderson, Regional Manager of Ducks Unlimited. Okay, so we had a pretty good season so far. Um, I know you were just telling me before we went on the air, banquet season coming to an end. You got a few of them this week, and then that's going to be it until the wintertime. 
Yeah, pretty much uh, kind of when hunting season starts, people want to, you know, be out hunting instead of going indoors and going to banquets. So we got a few this weekend, uh, you know, kind of out of the Bemidji area. It's Pelican Rapids, Middle River, Roseau. But uh, after that, then that's that's kind of it for the northern part of the state and until the winter season kicks in and when we're looking for stuff to do. <laughs> exactly. So um, how did the banquets go uh, as far as uh, people showing up, as far as dollars raised so far? Uh, very good. Uh, Bemidji specifically had a, one of the biggest events they've ever had in their almost 50-year history. Uh, it was a great event. Um, but across across the northern region, at all, at all events, um, people were coming out, people were spending money supporting conservation. Um, it should be another great year for this region. All right. Any big uh, efforts coming up in the next year or two that uh, Ducks Unlimited has planned other than the usual? Um, you know, it's it's kind of hard to look for us to look past, you know, one year because there's when you look at uh, – working on habitat, creating a wetland or restoring a wetland, there's a lot of paperwork and a lot of red tape and a lot of stuff you got to go through. So we, we do have a lot of projects that are, you know, two, three years out that we talk about, but we don't really start producing much information on them until we know we got all the paperwork in line and stuff because we don't like to get people's hopes up. Of, sure. This is what we're working on because one little thing, one little tiny thing can, can throw it astray and now all of a sudden it's out, out of the loop. So um, we just keep putting down the habitat we can. Last year we put down 16,000 acres of habitat just in the state of Minnesota. Um, it was the highest any state has ever put down in Ducks Unlimited's 81 history in a, in a given year. So we're, we're doing a lot of work in this state. Uh, we spend actually more money than we raise, and a lot of that is in conjunction with the Minnesota DNR and the Lassard Sam's Outdoor Heritage Fund that uh, sends money back to the outdoors. Um, so there's a lot of good things happening in Minnesota, and it should be, it should be a, lot of, a lot of bright future for Minnesota duck hunters. So the, the money you're spending, is it primarily on land acquisition or is it land development, combination of the two? It's, it's a mix. A lot of it is uh, land development more. Um, and it part, depends on what part of the state you're in because certain parts of the state have more public p- property than others. And so some of those areas that don't have a lot of public property, it's, it's a focus for us to try to put habit, or habitat on the ground that anyone can use. Um, but And some, some of those lakes that we work on are so big that there's multiple landowners on it, so that's, that adds another thing into it too as well. But um, we, we really try to focus on finding habitat that's um, – still somewhat intact even in its natural natural conditions it's a lot easier to kind of rebuild something than rather than starting from scratch but uh, we basically look at whatever whatever type of habitat is going to f- help the ducks the best that's where we focus our energy on uh, and I know we've talked about this before but I think it's, it's worth mentioning you know when it comes to uh, most wildlife especially ground-based wildlife or fish they're where they are they're, they're not moving much. You have to work with Canada. You have to probably work with maybe Mexico, southern states, as ducks don't stick around based on borders. No, and that, that is the challenge with waterfall. They move from literally the northern part of North America down into even South America. So the challenge is uh, spreading the work out across that whole habitat area, you know, from every life cycle, whether it's the breeding, the migration, or the wintering, wintering grounds for ducks. Um, you can't just put all your money into one spot and hope it's going to help. You got you got to help them from the top to the bottom, and that's that's the challenge of it. It's you know a lot of people like to see habitat being done right in their backyard, but that's not always the best spot it needs to be. And even though you're doing work in southern Minnesota, that's still helping duck populations in northern Minnesota and are hunting it. And you know, and even and we've talked too that it's not even just about ducks. Your pheasants, grouse, deer. Everything is living in and around a wetland, so there's a lot of lot of aspects of the work we do that plays into everybody's life, and it's got to be done from across the country and mm-hmm. not just in one spot. 
So, and then there's any number, you know, the eggs may not hatch or they get shot or something happens. But let's say a duck survives all of the challenges and lives to a ripe old age. What is a ripe old age for a duck? Uh, I guess I, I don't know that exactly. I know several people, you know, when we start talking about how old the duck is, we look at, you know, when they're banded. Uh, state agencies and federal agencies will ban ducks, put a little piece of metal around their leg with a number on it that records where they were banded and then eventually where they were shot or found dead. Not, not them all shot, some do die of old age or get hit by a car or something like that. You never know. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I've seen ducks as old as, uh, you know, seven, eight, nine years old okay. that have been shot with banded. But most of them probably usually in that uh, two to five range is kind of where they survive in. So when you're when you're talking about um, these, you know, working across borders and this whole thing, you're, you're talking about uh, you know something that's got to provide for them for five years, maybe more. Yeah, yeah, and that's and that's that's why again it's difficult. You know, you can't you can't look at something as a short term fix. You got to look at long term fixes and something that's going to sustain populations for years to come in perpetuity and not necessarily just a two or three year span. Has there been anything out there, whether it's here, Canada, elsewhere, that seems to be of grave concern at the moment? Um, a lot of it's it's just loss of habitat. I mean, with just development in all sorts of agriculture and industry, there's there's habitat going away. I mean, our populations are growing in, in people, so habitat's got to support that. So a lot of it's just making sure that we can conserve the best habitat we can right now and then try to fix the stuff that uh, is, is kind of on the board and we can put better stuff on the ground with that. Okay. Anything else you want us to know? Happy hunting, I guess. It's getting that, <laughs> getting only about, like I said, halfway through. So, you know, ended about four weeks left is all we got. A little less, actually, up here in the northern part because we get uh, about... 27 days to go here before it's done so get out and enjoy it now do you go deer hunting or are you just going to keep duck hunting i do that's that's always the uh that's the the tough question because uh i always talk to my buddies it's either ducks or bucks because (laughs) deer hunting short but also when you hit november is when some of the prime duck hunting is in northern minnesota i mean the ducks are starting to pile through and they're they're getting the big pushes so i mean it's it's a tough choice i'll i'll mix it up but Hopefully, I kind of hope I shoot a deer on opening weekend so I can uh, get back out in the blind. <laughs> Sounds good. Scott Anderson is the Regional Director of Ducks Unlimited. He's the National Regional Director of the Year. Congratulations on that again. And as always, Scott, thanks for taking time to talk with us. Thanks for having me in. Glad to have Lou Cornicelli, Wildlife Research Manager with the DNR, joining us once again. We chatted with him last year. Lou, welcome back. Why, thanks. How are you doing? I'm, I'm doing well. Uh, we actually had some decent weather up here for a change, so, you know, we're, we're all right. <laughs> yeah, it should snow any day now, I think. Uh, yeah, probably. <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> hey, Lou, um, last year we talked a lot about CWD. We're going to talk a lot about it again this year. Um, any changes from when we talked last year to this year, as far as you can tell? Um, a few changes, uh, primarily related uh, to our mandatory surveillance. We're doing mandatory testing over the opening weekend of the deer season, November 3rd and 4th, uh, at a bunch of locations in north central, central, and southeastern Minnesota. Um, the change in the central and north central uh, surveillance areas is the zones are just a little bit smaller. Uh, we collected so many samples last fall, uh, thanks to our really high hunter compliance, so we appreciate that, uh, that we kind of narrowed our surveillance down to around the, the two positive captive service facilities. So, um, the only real difference for hunters uh, who are hunting, you know, in, in Crow Wing County or hunting 
um, in Meeker County is, is uh, the surveillance area is a little smaller. So I, I really ask hunters to take a look at our regulations book. Um, it's in there or our CWD website, which is mndnr.gov slash CWD. But everything else is the same. If you kill a deer over opening weekend, you have to register it the same day it was harvested and then take it into one of our surveillance stations, and we'll, we'll take care of the rest. Okay, okay. Um, yeah, you better check the book to make sure you're, you're in compliance. You certainly want to do that. Yeah, and the, uh, um, the, the sampling station locations are in the regulations book, and, again, they're posted online, so they're really easy to find. They're like the, the, One of them is the Brainerd Rest Area on 371, so they're, we didn't put them in obscure locations. So <laughs> just take a look at our, the regulations book that's in every single license agent's uh, location or the website. All right. CWD stands for chronic wasting disease. Lou, for those who've heard about it but really didn't haven't paid a whole lot of attention, what are we talking about? Well, what we're talking about is a progressive neurological disease that that uh, affects the brain. So what happens is the animal becomes infected, and then over time they they develop these spongiform or holes in their brain that affects you know affects behavior predisposes them to other mortality, uh, and then if they don't get killed by something else, they die of the disease. So our concern is that it's not like like a uh, hemorrhagic disease or another disease that might burn through a deer population and move on. This one, once it becomes established, we're going we're gonna to have to live with forever, and it's going to uh, impact deer populations over the long term. So we're, we, and when I say we, I'm talking about all of the states that have white-tailed deer, mule deer, elk, which is all of them, are really concerned about a disease like this becoming established on the landscape because it'll it, over time it'll really forever alter what we how we know uh, white-tailed deer populations to exist. So our goal is, has been preventative medicine. You know, if you can find the disease early, you have your one and only shot to eliminate it. Um, if it becomes established, then we have to figure out how to live with it and limit spread and limit uh, distribution of deer and so on and so forth. So it's really, it's a, you know, CWD is for chronic, which means it's, it's longstanding. And we're, we're doing everything we can to avoid that situation. Okay. And primarily it's been found in southeastern Minnesota, correct? In wild deer, yes. We've had eight captive cervid facilities infected, and part of our surveillance this year is because of three captive servant facilities. So we've got one in Crow Wing County, um, one in Meeker County, and then we have one in Winona County. So the only place we found it in wild deer is in the southeastern part of the state, and that source of infection is unknown. We found it once in 2010 um, a couple of miles from uh, a heavily infected elk farm, captive elk facility, so we feel that that disease was associated with that farm. But in Fillmore County, where we have it now, we don't know. Uh, we've got a limited distribution of the disease. In other words, it's pretty well centered around Preston um, when we're not sure how it got there. So that's why we kind of looked at that coordinated risk, you know, captive service facilities, uh, movement of carcasses, and also uh, how live animals move across the landscape. So we're trying to address the stuff that we can through, you know, import restrictions, uh, feeding restrictions, and, and so on. So, yeah, feeding restrictions is the key, if I remember from last year. So explain how the disease primarily spreads. Yep. It's a, the easiest way to think about it is, is it's a transmissible, a transmissible disease. So that means one animal gives it to another. Think about uh, a daycare. Let's say you have one sick kid in the, in, the, in the class, and they all eat out of the same cereal bowl. Well, all the kids are going to get sick. But if you give them 
uh, all their own cereal bowls, and there's a good chance that nobody else will get sick. And when we congregate deer unnaturally with, with artificial feed, that's what happens. So you have a deer that has a disease, and whether that's bovine tuberculosis or chronic wasting disease or any of the other transmissible diseases, when you put a food source down and you congregate animals over that single food source, one animal can really infect a lot more. So we try and do what we can to limit the unnatural concentration of deer. And part of that is feeding in our CWD zone. It's also attracting. So we're, we're trying to keep deer from, from, you know, in a non-natural sense, mingling amongst themselves. And, and again, we get criticized. Well, you can't, you can't ban deer behavior. You know, we get that. You know, we get that deer are going to, are going to, uh, touch other deer, but we can ban the stuff that we cause. Sure. So basically, some of these areas you you can't put out the, the feed trough. Correct. Yep. It, and and in Minnesota, it's been illegal to bait deer for hunting purposes since I think nineteen ninety or ninety one. So you've and you know for a generation you've not been able to do that. But in our CWD surveillance areas, we also ban uh, uh, feeding of deer. Okay. And that's that's in our regs book as well. Okay. Online. Very good. Um, are, there, are there other states where this has occurred that you can uh, get some knowledge from? Uh, there, there is. You know, about half the states uh, have chronic waste disease, and we coordinate very closely. A lot of us sit on different committee, wildlife health committees. We, we help with putting together uh, coordinated documentation on, on managing risk and surveillance. So we work really closely. And if you think about our carcass import restriction, which we have, uh, we're one of 40 states that have some sort of a carcass import restriction, and, uh, and at least a dozen that have banned whole carcass imports, much like we have. So the states are really trying to work together to, to have this coordinated response to the disease. You know, some of the challenges are not all states have the authorities to regulate similarly. So in other words, uh, some states might be able to ban baiting and feeding while other states can't, So or or to do enhanced surveillance and other states can't. So since deer are a state-managed species, um, we work together as best we can because we don't want to give disease to each other because of the the long-standing problem with, you know, with this disease. So we do work, we work together more closely, I think, than the public sees, uh, but we, we do a lot. All right. So if we did nothing, I mean, potentially this could uh, be devastating to the statewide herd? Well, I don't know. You know, devastating is kind of a tough word, I know, but I, I, know. I think no, I know. <laughs> but I think the uh, our concern is that once a, a chronic disease that you can't eliminate gets established, then we have to think about the long term. There's there's research in other states, Wyoming, Colorado, and some of the stuff coming out of Wisconsin are, are really starting to show that the disease has a um, uh, a long term negative impact on populations. And the problem is is it takes a long time to become established and even and an even longer time uh, to have its effects. It's been 50-plus years in Wyoming, and now they're just starting to describe uh, uh, um, population trends, uh, negative population trends. Mm-hmm. Um, might be quicker in higher-density Midwestern white-tailed deer populations that don't migrate, but it's still going to take a really long time. And it, that's hard for, for folks to wrap their heads around because we think about you know this deer season, last deer season, it was better 10 years ago. We don't think about what's it going to be like in 50 or 100 or 150 years. And we're, we're trying to avoid um, uh, leaving a, a lasting problem for somebody else to deal with. And, it, and it's tough to do. You know, it's, mm-hmm. really, it's really tough to do because you've got to think about this in the generational sense, not just the immediate sense. That is very hard for people to do. 
no question. Yeah, and I'm and I'm not being critical. It just is. Yeah, right? you know, you, you look at look at where we are with every every eighteen months we get we get deluged with political ads. You know, and uh, you know we live we live for the next cycle, and and, and uh, it's not a crit it's not a criticism of folks. It's just you know, the, the world in which we live, and we're trying to get people to think more broadly. Um, uh, oh, you know, and and the long term generations. Yeah. As far as CWD goes, as far as we know, there are no effects on people if they happen to get a deer that had it. Um, yeah, there, as far as we know, you know that mm-hmm. science keeps changing. There, there's a study in Canada that's ongoing uh, that may uh, may say some things we don't want it to say, but we're not <laughs> sure, uh, or hope it doesn't say rather. But we're not sure. We haven't seen that. It's not been published yet. But with prion diseases, you know, the, it's better <laughs> don't don't take the risk. You know, right. We've seen, We've seen uh, that variant CJD from bovine, you know, from mad cow. You know, we've seen we've seen prions cross the species barrier, and while the risk might be low, it's certainly one that that the CDC it says you shouldn't take. So that, you know, the CDC guidelines are if you're in an area that that may have CWD, or uh, you should get the animal tested, and if the deer comes, the animal comes back positive, don't eat it. Um, I defer to the public health experts on that. So. Um, but yeah, I mean that's the. I, we don't want to sound alarmist, but I think the science keeps evolving, and we have to pay really good attention to it. And I do think that if if there is a, a human health risk related to this disease, I think that changes the game entirely, and that's a, that's a different conversation. Okay. So what happens if uh, you go out, you go deer hunting, you get your deer, you bring it in, and they find CWD? Are you just out of luck? Uh, well, you're not out of luck. We'll uh, we'll tell you as quickly as we can. We're we're reporting back our results in our CWD zone uh, in three business days because that's our that's our priority. In the other places, Meeker, Crowing counties, it'll probably take about two weeks, and hunters can actually get online and check their own results. If we get a presumptive positive, we call the person immediately, and then we make arrangements to take the deer, and we'll dispose of it at the University of Minnesota in their alkaline digester. So. Um, if you don't hear from us, that's always a good thing. <laughs> uh, but if 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 uh, you do hear from us, we'll we'll take care of you. Okay, but and we're hoping we're hoping you don't hear from us. Right, but I mean, then do you get a chance then to go out if uh, and uh, and go get another one? Um, you might. It depends on when the results are reported back. Sure. If the season's still open. We do have a mechanism to uh, offer a replacement deer license that that's in our statute. Um, and hopefully that you know again hopefully there'd be enough time and we could do that. But it, it all depends. Uh, you, you know, it's a bonus permit. Antlerless deer probably not because they're, they're relatively cheap. Yeah. But for a buck license and if there's time, we have a mechanism to do that. And and we have occasionally in the past when folks are interested. Okay. Uh, one of the but things again the deer ha- the, the deer has to come back positive. It's it's uh, right. it can't be because you don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> Understood. Um, you mentioned before we went on the air to make sure to talk about carcass restrictions. Right. So since about 2004, we've had uh, carcass imp- whole carcass import restrictions from from areas that are known to have CWD. And in, and given the rate of infection in both captive cervids and wild cervids, we made a change in 2016 that, that whole carcasses are banned from anywhere regardless of their uh CWD status. So we've done a lot of outreach with our hunters, with our uh, venison processors, with our taxidermists to make them aware of that law. Okay. We've got a couple of vid- we've got a couple of videos on our website. Um, 
that if you just go to the CWD homepage, you'll be able to see uh, some videos on how to quarter your deer, a video on how to um, uh, cape your deer. And so we, we ask people to take a look at that. And if they're traveling out of state, you know, make arrangements with your destination state. Talk to a taxidermist. It doesn't cost much to, to, um, to cape a deer and bring it home. Uh, make arrangements with your venison processor. So, you know, take a look at our stuff, and we do that because we're concerned about wild deer health. So, um, but I think it's becoming uh, fairly well, hopefully fairly well known about our restrictions. Do you do anything uh, research-wise uh, prior to the rifle season with the archery season? Uh, no, we don't. Other than our CWD management zone, which is which is mandatory throughout the season, we only work during the during the firearm season, and because it's a numbers thing, yeah. We kill we kill twenty thousand deer um, uh, during the whole archery season. We probably kill twenty thousand deer in the first five minutes of gun season. So, <laughs> um, so we we work when you know when uh, the deer are available to us in larger numbers. So, with the exception of our disease management zone. Where we have head boxes and we do we do uh, throughout the year uh, surveillance. Okay, well, we we mainly have talked with you about uh, chronic wasting disease the last couple of years, Lou. But you are a wildlife research manager. If that wasn't around, or and I'm sure it's not the only thing you do. What what else does that entail? Oh, seems like everything. You know, I I do a lot of the policy stuff for the for the wildlife section. Um, I oversee our four wildlife research groups so any anything you see coming out about duck movement or or uh, uh sharp-tailed grouse research or the moose research project or any of the deer stuff that kind of falls within my uh within my unit so i've got uh about 30 people who who basically try and deliver applied science to our agency to help make management decisions okay is there any uh any besides uh, the the real necessary attention to cwd any other big things going on in your area right now Oh, you know, there's a lot of a lot of work related to our deer management plan that was just finalized. So we're 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 spooling up some research projects to help inform our deer model, and then the audit findings from a couple years ago. We're getting we're in the stages of writing up our all of our moose data from from uh, uh, the, the five year moose mortality study. You know, we're looking at, at pesticide use across the agricultural landscape and how that might influence bird populations. So there's there's always something going on. A long term bear study. It helps inform uh, our bear management program. That's been a 35-year study. So there's a there's a whole bunch of stuff that we do that that uh, I wish more people knew about. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe someday we'll just uh, we'll just delve into some of that. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, my, the scientists who work for us are really good at, at outreach and talking about their project. So okay. I think that'd be a that'd be a good conversation, especially in Bemidji. We have the the Wetland Wildlife Research Group is in. Uh, is in Bemidji, and they're doing a lot of work related to um, wood duck nesting and mallard movements and an amphipod you know, a study of wetland and water quality. So I think there's a lot going on even just right there in Bemidji. That that sounds fascinating. I'm always interested in this stuff, and I because like we were talking before, you know, we're we're, we're kind of in the moment people. And whether it be you know when I'm talking to the fish fishing fisheries guys or or, or you guys. Um, the big picture is so important, and and it's just it's certainly not about instant gratification. Yeah, that's true. You know, everything is related. There's no such thing as a one-off. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, we we look at we look at pulling you pull on one thread and it un- unravels another thread. So, you know, we we try and look at these these answer these big landscape level questions um, through a lot of our research or, or surveillance for disease. You, know, you think about the moose 
moose mortality project. That's just not wolves. It's just not climate change. It's just not white-tailed deer. It's, it's some underlying uh, a cause and effect related to probably all three of those and some stuff we don't know about. So it's a, you know, if the world were simple, it would be a lot easier to live, wouldn't it? <laughs> yes, it would. <laughs> well, Lou, before we wrap it up, let's circle back to chronic wasting disease. Give us the bullet points we need to know for the, the deer season 2018. Well, first thing I would do is look at the regulations book in our website, mndnr.gov slash cwd. We, uh, we've got a ton of info up there, so you can get most of your questions answered. Um, and if you kill a deer, find out where, if you're in a surveillance zone, if you kill a deer over opening weekend, follow, follow the instructions, go to a sampling station, and we'll send you on your way. So, you know, and do what you can to, to not um, spread the disease. You know, comply with the carcass import restriction regulations comply with our surveillance, you know, and most Minnesota hunters do that. We, we have a good track record of, you know, people do things because they're the right thing to do, even in, even if there's a, a, no law. So mm-hmm. I think just pay attention to, to, you know, when you go in and buy your deer license, spend a couple minutes thumbing through the regs, and you'll, you'll have most of your questions answered. Lou Cordicelli is a wildlife research manager for the Minnesota DNR, talking uh, deer and CWD primarily. Uh, Lou, thank you so much for your time again this year. We appreciate it. My pleasure, Kev. This has been Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors. Hear it exclusively on KBUN-FM 104.5, Thursdays at 1240 and Saturday mornings at 8.